This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hello, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford here with Mark Sinell. Hey, Mark. Hello, Carolyn. Good morning. So today we have a guest that I, like, as soon as I heard about this guest, I'm like, I want to talk to her. And we've been (laughs) trying for a little bit. So um, first, Raven Manuel, I'm going to introduce you properly, but welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. This is actually exciting. So for our listeners, Raven Manuel is Senior Application Developer at Smithsonian Institute. National Museum of African American History and Culture, the NMAAHC, (laughs) is the 19th Museum of the Smithsonian, has been open since 2016. Um, And since opening, it has collected over 36,000 artifacts, gained nearly 100,000 members, and was awarded the People's Voice Webby Award in 2017. So, Raven, can you can you describe your role um, in the context of a modern museum experience and what that means, and in, in like what your role is at the museum, and oh, how that brings it to life. Well, yeah. and absolutely. why do we even need an application developer for a museum? <laughs> now? Having been through it, I had I had to look back, and I'm like, oh yeah, the technology was huge. I didn't notice it at the time. That's awesome. It was looking back on it. I'm like, the technology is what really like bathed me and immersed me a lot in the experience, especially as I moved up. Yeah, that is awesome that it was so integrated that you felt it was just part of that experience. From what I was hired for, and I'm not, our museum is not just the only one that has application developers. There are other museums because every museum and gallery has a website. So we have to have somebody on staff to actually maintain the website. So Mm. there's, there's that. I don't work on the website. I actually have kind of three hats. One, I, um, when there are smaller exhibits and they're interactive, so those things that you touch, which are going to be contactless moving forward, those things are the things that I develop, or I, I will work with a designer, um, like the UI UX designer and develop, um, these interactives that will bring home the message that the education department would like people to take away from an exhibit. So, People, the whole purpose of the Smithsonian itself is for education. So when we make an exhibit, it isn't just to um, have you have a feeling, but it's also for you to have an opinion, for you to be able to um, be immersed in that history and to walk away with some bit of knowledge that you didn't know before or to change your opinion about what you felt before. So my role as a develop as an application developer is when I see like so I have my other role is as an R and D person. So I actually look at spaces in our museum and I go, well, how can we get the message across better here? What would help um, make this not only a fun, engaging process, but also help people learn? And my particular um, interest is in accessibility. So I'm always looking for ways to make our interactives or the museum visit 
um, accessible for people who may not be able to experience with uh, their eyes or maybe may not be able to hear um, mm. the, the audio that's going on or have um, maybe a cognitive um, differences and how they actually interpret that. So I, that's what I do. I look for ways to, to, and I tell my, um, I'll make a prototype, show it to my, um, my supervisor and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And most of the time what I feel isn't going to go there, but it's like, gives me a chance. He just gives me a chance to say, here's how we can use technology to actually one, assist people in their experience and two, tell the story in an engaging way. So um, a lot of our exhibits that have interactive, some of them are really huge. And so we hire out for that. We have contractors for that. But if it's small, like if there's a game or like like um, the World War II was the last one I think I made. And there was um, at the end, once you got through that whole exhibit, you should have learned about the nine luminaries that were highlighted in the exhibit. So when you got to the end, you had a quiz. And what the quiz did, it would ask you, well, do you see yourself as a writer or do you think mm-hmm. that you would have that that yes, and so when you at the end you actually came up with a luminary that should have um, mimicked what you felt. So so that was an interactive that I actually um, implemented. So that was that's actually my that, role. That's really there. cool, Raven. It that's is cool the, stuff. <laughs> the best job ever. I, there is nobody who has a better job than me. There is that nobody. Is awesome. Yes, nobody. You, you know. Um, as I as I'm thinking about this, Raven, I, um, and I don't know the answer to this. I apologize. I probably should know this. Um, okay. What uh, options are there for people, virtual uh, visitors that can't get to DC that you want to have some sort of experience of the museum? Do you have options and things like that? Do you work on that stuff? Um, I didn't. There is a big project, and I think it's going to be launching in a couple of months. It's called the, um, and it's something. It's a Smithsonian vision. It's not just for our unit, but the Smithsonian um, vision of making everything digital so that it can be experienced in the web. Um, and so we have a um, a virtual ex- museum experience that's going to be launched, and it is phenomenal. You'll What it will do for you is it will actually have you pick an object, pick an experience, and then connect it with another experience or another object that you would not have actually thought about. Um, most of the museums have um, some type of digital, like we have open access. I don't know if you are aware of that open access where developers or anybody can actually go online and use the images in this space. Um, we have the Smithsonian. Yeah, but it's, it's, if you go to the Smithsonian si.edu um, and then you'll go to open act, you can just search for open access. You'll see that you'll have access to any number of um, any of number of objects from all the museums. So cool. that's one I didn't place. know that either. The Smithsonian high is was something that was actually started at the um, Hershon Gallery and you use your mobile device. And when you go into the units, the museums or galleries that are um, in, that have this implemented, you'll take your phone, your mobile device and, um, and put it on the QR code. And then you'll actually get more information about that, maybe that object or about a, like a, a a tour or a wayfinding thing. So that's actually something that we have. And then there, there are the websites, right? Our website is 
it's unique, but it's pretty much put together like the other websites, which is where we highlight our objects. You can search for our objects. You can see what the exhibit exhibits are about. Um, we have a, a mobile app that will help you plan your visit. And I'm actually working on, a, on an application, a mobile application with the National Center of Atmospheric Research, believe it or not. We're coming up with a um a mobile device for accessibility that will give people who are low vision or blind a way to navigate not just through the facility, um, but also to experience, to have a similar experience and learn about those particular objects so they can go to an exhibit and then like point their phone onto something and be able to hear or hear something about that object. That's actually next year's thing. That's awesome. Wow, that's yeah. transformative inclusion. Yes. That's sure. the way we do technology, right? Yes, exactly. Not just for technology's sake. It has to have right. a purpose, right? Yeah. Do you yeah. guys do you guys have any any um plans or vision to do stuff like virtual reality? Absolutely. That's actually me. That's my thing. Like I uh-huh. want to add AR, like the app that we're using that I'm making with this um my co-developer Nihan is using um, AR, um, artificial reality. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm actually looking into how can we use AI or machine learning or VR into these experiences. One of the places, the contemplative court actually is where I've, I've looked at and thought, this is a great space, right? But if you don't know the people who have the writings on the wall, then you're not, you're missing, you're missing mm-hmm. it. What's the difference it's, between VR and AR? I, I, that, so that's a oh, term. Oh, artificial reality is when you take um, reality as it is and you kind and then you expand it. Right. You, you have to have something there in order to expand it. Virtual reality is you make something out of nothing. OK, that's, the, right. that's the difference. Learn, learn something new every day. Yeah, it's I, awesome. I read a couple of articles about it in the last Signal magazine that DOD is doing a lot with it. Yeah. To like simulate real. What you're doing is. Awesome, though. Yes. Yeah. I actually work. I worked for the State Department way back at, for the um, Diplomatic Security Service. And that is what we did as programmers. We actually tried to help with the training by using um, VR and AR to help them with training, and stuff, so, which was really cool. So one of the reasons I think that I didn't really notice the technology. I mean, there were certain rooms, like when I got to, I call it the ancestry room. I don't know what it's really called. Oh yeah. The I got family to look sense. Up. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I did obviously notice the technology in there, but I think one of the reasons that I didn't, that it wasn't in my face is because it was seamless. There were no glitch. Like how do you keep it running all the time? <laughs> how do you plan for like, what about security measures? Yeah. I noticed yeah. that one of the descriptors in your job includes mm-hmm. DevSecOps, another term yeah. I would not put with a Smithsonian Museum. <laughs> um, so how, can you talk to that? I can talk to it. I personally do not keep them running um, because I, <laughs> I don't work actually in the museum. I work at Capitol Gallery. We have an AV crew. We also have um, facilities on um, people that, uh, that will go through the museum every day and make sure everything works every day. Mm. So that is the one thing that we do. We make sure that the visitor experience isn't um, isn't hampered by anything that doesn't work. And you if mean it doesn't they work, manually walk through and make sure everything's, and then do you monitor from afar as well? They do. They actually okay. do. They have a way to monitor, especially if it's a web-based 
thing. We have a, mm-hmm. um, an internal network and the monitoring system is tapped into the internal network so they can see um, the what's happening. And if something goes down, um, there are times when they're, they have to be down maybe for um, maintenance, but there are people that go through every morning that the museum is open to make sure everything is open. And it is correct. I, I think I, um, when I got to the museum, I worked for AOL and I had, um, I was a developer there, but I also um, did systems and I did uh, administrative uh, system admin stuff. And on the back end of things, we have our servers. We have these things that have to happen. We've got, um, even though we don't produce a lot of software, we do produce applications. And I told my um, supervisor, you know, we could be a little bit more performant in the way we get things from the developer to the floor. And that is how DevSecOps actually got into our museum. I have counterparts in other, like in SAM, in the American Art Museum. They have, um, their title isn't dev, a DevOps engineer. They're just, they are um, application developers as well, but they do take care of their systems. And so that our IT infrastructure, the enterprise IT, which is OCIO, the Office of the Chief Information Officer, they're actually investigating how to implement um DevOps into the Smithsonian because they take care of most of the, they manage most of the um, web applications that are out there. So yeah, we are. um, Including you guys, right? Yes. Um, It it all comes together to the the greater Smithsonian team. Well, sort of. We're autonomous. Most of the units are autonomous. We can do whatever we want to the chagrin of OCIO. But um, we do try to be good citizens and work with them because they have um, they do have a, um, a a server a I don't know a server farm I guess um, that we have some things on and so it's like we do have this big IT presence that you never would know that the Smithsonian would have right you wouldn't think right. that that's part of it but it is it's cool. So how did you kind of manage all this through the pandemic, Raven? <laughs> when we were open, because um, we closed for a while yeah. there, right? So yeah. we had to close for a bit. And um, we have the bigger Smithsonian, which we call the castle. That is like the mm-hmm. mothership, right? <laughs> they we um, The units kind of mimic that. So we had like a, um, what was it called? A new normal team was one of the really? teams that we had. Yeah, we had new normal teams. So did this um, castle, which was to figure out how do we go from where we were to the new normal, whatever the new normal is going to be. Uh, we also had another team, a COVID team that was just specifically yeah. to help with the health thing. So if you um, needed assistance with COVID and to be able to pipe what was happening down at the unit level to go to the Smithsonian. So we had those two teams. Um, the COVID team is also kind of, and I'm calling it the COVID team, but that was not the name of that team. Um, they were also responsible for how, when we do open in the phased approach, how do we keep our visitors safe? How do we ensure that we're following CDC um, guidelines um, and our own stricter guidelines for making sure that everybody stayed healthy, including staff, visitors, and security. And um, the new normal team 
is the team that was that took all of the staff input about like how we were feeling, um, what were our um, concerns, what is it, what were we willing to do, and what we were not willing to do, and what were we doing. Um, because of COVID that actually seemed like best practice. And one of the things that came out of that is this from what my understanding is, is we have so many options for telework. It's ridiculous. Like people can pretty much, you know, make a buffet out of how they would like to um, telework. Um, People like myself, where I don't really need to be at the museum. We have at this point, we are um, not going into our workspaces or into the museum where I'm telling, so I've been teleworking for like almost two years now. Like I haven't been um, anywhere, but we can go, but if we don't have a reason to go, then don't go because what we're trying to do is keep everybody safe. And so that was, um, that's really how those things happen. I think you asked me, Carolyn, about security. Mm-hmm. Security has always been on property, has always been there. Even when the museum was closed, security has always been there. So this, the level of security across the Smithsonian never um, diminished. It's always been. And it's pretty, like, we're in a very visual place. Like we're, And there's some, some controversy sometimes in with what we display. Um, so security has never actually been diminished. That's like what physical if, security, but not, what about cyber security? Yeah, exactly. Um, what about your applications? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so for our applications, the ones that are in the museum, when I make the, the ones that I've been implementing, I use the internal network. So there is no access outside really because it's an oh. internal network. The network itself is OCIO. They are responsible for the whole network. And because they are, they take cybersecurity extremely, extreme. I mean, to the nth degree, which is to my chagrin as a developer, because that means like I have to be <laughs> careful about what I'm doing, about libraries that I'm using, about open source stuff like it. It, mm-hmm. there's got to be a balance, but there's, it's really a tug of war between I need to use this thing and security is like, if you use that thing, it's going to open us up for like a t- an attack. And we, we really don't like to have our websites down. That's like not good because like you said, Mark, there are people who don't get to come to the museum who want to experience the museum. And the only way they can touch us is through the websites. So I wanted to ask you about just your recommendations for navigating the museum and you you touched on it this application i'm not sure if it's ready yet that you can plan your trip because i wish i would have done that i wish like i said i i feel like i missed so much i could have spent a month in that museum yes and um so it's the our mobile device and i think it's going through some upgrades but the thing that it does allow you to do is that if you have it's um, I will get back to you to let you know whether or not um, when this feature will be available. But what the feature is supposed to do is like you say that you only have five hours and you want to spend two and a half hours in that museum. And so then mm-hmm. uh, in our museum in two and a half, like, I don't know, in oh. NMAI. And so you're like, and you are a baseball aficionado, right? And so you say, what? Give me some suggestions of where I can go in the museum if I have this particular like or these are the particular things or I only have this particular amount of time. That's what the app is is meant to do. And I believe that that feature might be coming. I know I know it's being worked on. So I will let you I will 
definitely email you and let you know if it's available. And that you, you do it on your mobile device. I think you you it's another QR code thing that you do and then it'll come up. So do you have an app that you <clears throat> actually someone can download onto their phone and then they're navigate through their through the app? That's that one. That app is the one. Yeah, that one you can um, download. Yeah. So this will be a new feature to the app where you can actually plan your trip. That's brilliant. I love that. I have a love-hate relationship with museums in general because I want to see it all. And I like just the idea of going exhausts me before I'm even there because I know I can't see it all. Yes. So I love that idea. So I want to jump to our tech talk questions. Okay. And these are just fun questions like, kind of rapid answers. I am always looking to build my my reading and my television viewing list. So <laughs> I want to know what you're reading, listening to, watching that inspires you or uh, that you just do to chill. Wow. Okay. I live in the mountains and I have very poor internet connection. So I don't have TV. I don't even oh. have signal. Yeah. And I don't really like TV. I never did when I was a kid. So I don't do TV, um, but I read a lot and I listen to audiobooks a lot. Um, and the, one of the books I just finished, I guess it's a plug for Lonnie. Um, it, it's Lonnie's um, book. Oh my gosh. I'm going to cheat because I have to look because I'm listening to so many. I'm cheating. I'm going online. You can cheat. It's a fool's errand is what um, um, Lonnie Bunch, our secretary, who used to be our director, he Uh wrote the book and he wrote it about building the museum, that whole journey of building the museum. So it's a fool's errand, um, which was great um, just to hear his experience about how to get that in there. Um, I was also, so I'm I'm a geek. I won't talk about the tech manuals I'm reading because I read a lot of tech manuals, (laughs) but um, the museum, I grew up in the Bronx and I grew up going to Catholic school, which kind of ditched history and and replacement for religion. So I didn't really know history very well or geography. I thought everything was New York, like Chicago was part of New York when I was growing up. I just thought that Mm -hmm. that was how it was. (laughs) Um, So I'm trying to make myself... um, learn more, but the, the reconstruction um, exhibit and um, the records that you were able to search, they had me thinking about my history because I didn't know it. Like I just didn't know that. And so I started reading the constitution and reading books about American history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really not a person that likes history or um, cause I don't do well with dates, but I'm really great with numbers. And so I was reading about that. I, I and I think about why did to me reconstruction failed because we're still in a place where we have racism. Like, mm-hmm. why do we still have this? Where did that come from? And I, those are the type of books when I'm in a contemplative mood that I mm-hmm. I, I look for is things about the American American history, about the founding fathers, about England and how England's system was. For fun, I read um, anything that's fantasy, sci-fi. I've got this thing about murder mysteries that I like. It's like, it's just whatever. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite sci-fi? Have you read the Broken Earth series? No. The What series is it? It's called the Broken Earth series. I'm going to send you the link. And it is one that I started. She won NK. Oh, what's her last name? She won the Hugo Award. It's a trilogy. And she won the mm. Hugo Award uh, three years in a row. That's never happened before. And it, it's 
sci-fi fantasy, more fantasy, but she approaches things on this cosmic level. So rather than looking at time, like in years, it's billions of years. Wow. And it's, yeah, it kind of, it blew my mind and it's, it's fantastic, but I have another one for you. I know this, what? I'm not supposed to do this, but <laughs> so have you heard of God, human animal machine by Megan? Um, oh, Giblin, oh, Giblin. No. So I just heard a podcast with her and it's fascinating. I just, I haven't read it yet. I just started it. But And there's, how is it? how is the start? Because that actually gives you a feeling about immediate hook for me. That's okay. why I'm like, yeah, I'm it's like, I'm excited to dig into this one. Oh, good. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I do a lot of reading. I code too. Like I do that like for fun yeah. and stuff and learn <laughs> new technology. Uh, Cause I'm kind of like a geek like that. And I've got a health kick. It's, it's the COVID like I'm going to exercise because of COVID thing. And so uh-huh. I've got like this whole exercise thing, um, whatever. Just do a whole bunch of stuff to keep yourself from getting bored, right? I kind of went the opposite. I ate and drank my way through COVID. So, yeah. All right, Mark, you get the next question. (laughs) All right, next question. What's your What's your favorite app or gadget? Oh wow! Favorite app or gadget? You know how when you know it, and then somebody asks you, and then your mind just like blows up and goes blank, Uh and like. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Favorite app, Pandora. Sorry. I love music. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite app is, is Pandora. I'm not a gadget geek. I'm actually, that's actually, and I need to clarify that for everybody out there in the world, gadget geeks and computer geeks were totally different. Right? Yeah. I build my own PCs. I build my own everything like that, but I'm not a gadget geek. My last phone before this phone was like six or seven years old because it's like, it's a phone. It does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So I'm not really into gadgets. I am totally into computers and anything computer related. Yeah. But you love your music. So what's your, like your go-to feel good music? Uh, dubstep. All right. So if you could wave your magic wand, what would you wish for like technology wise? Anything you want. Anything I want, technology. Sci-fi, like, like, let your mind just explode here. Wow. Wowzers. Okay. But only one thing? Oh, okay. You can list more than one. <laughs> only one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, there's a lot of things. Okay, so um, the first thing I would want is there to be, um, and I read a book like this and I can't, figure out, remember the book, what is about, it is where, um, you could go and if you had any malady, any type of disease or anything, you could go into the machine, this machine, and it would get rid of it. Like it would just uh, wipe out all sorts oh, of diseases. Slippery slope. Slippery I know. Slope. Because then that does that. What that does is it does like overpopulation. There's a whole bunch of things that happen when you kind of right? mess with, um, health and whatever. Um, I, I think for me, I would want like technologies that would level, level people up. Like everybody would be equal. And cause the whole thing mm-hmm. that makes the disparities and really bad disparities is access to resources, whatever the resource is, whether the resource is food or money or healthcare, no matter what the resource is, it's the, it's the limited resources and the, um, 
the unequal way that it's distributed among people. I would want a technology that would be able to just distribute resources, whether that means that everybody had like all the food that they wanted, all of the great food that they wanted, or we still had an agrarian society and farmers would be able to get what they needed. All farmers would be able to get what mm-hmm. they needed. Um, whether um, access to education access to just all of these different things were available for everyone and it wouldn't rely on having like money or whatever that resource is that you would need to access that. That is what, that is what I wish technology could do for us. And then maybe have us be able to populate other planets because then there would be overpopulation here on the earth and we would use up all the resources (laughs) here. (laughs) Oh my gosh, let's go down that rabbit hole. Exactly. It's like that's um I saw a Star Star Trek, I think, where they had the um way back where they had that machine that actually kind of made a dead a dead planet a live planet. Oh yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we, would, we would be able there to do go. that. She's a trackie. She's I am. a trackie. I'm just a little bit of, of course a trackie. I am. Just a little bit. I'm more of All a Tronny. Right. I love Tron. That's my favorite. Me too. What do you think of the reboot? Did you like it? Mm. It was all right. It was good. I mean, it was. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Have you seen yes. Dune yet? Oh, you don't. Yes, I did actually. I saw. I saw. I saw Dune too. Okay, oh, it was great. I, that it one's was. like I'm saving it for this weekend. Okay, oh. I'm so excited. Yes, for that one. I went at Udvarhazy. I actually went to Aaron Space Museum in Chantilly to go watch it. So you saw it on IMAX. Yes. Shut so did you? I read. It. I I did not. I saw oh. it at home on HBO Max. Mark, but, uh, but team the review, building. I know the review, the review said, go see it on IMAX to get the complete immersion. Fat, uh, oh uh, my gosh. I actually uh, tried to read the books of Dune mm-hmm. and my brain, if I have a rule, if my brain can't pronounce the words in yeah. itself, I can't read the book. It's not going to happen. So I listened to the audiobook, and then, um, do you guys know about Alamo Draft House? That's like a movie. It's a movie uh-huh. theater that's a draft house, actually. And it's oh. it's here. It's great. Um, they had Dune from 1980 something, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they Sting. played that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't even know he was in it. And so I watched Dune there and then I saw the Dune this one. And I was like, <sighs> they All did right. a great job. I'm finding it on IMAX. So yes. Raven, thank you yes. so much for your time Welcome. today. What a fun conversation. Yes. Um, thanks to our fun. listeners. So if you enjoyed the show, please smash the like button, share this episode, and we will be with you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.